Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Last month uh, in Europe, uh, a piece of art called Lady with a Fan from Gustav made by or painted by Gustav Klimt set a new auction record in Europe uh, for 108 million or 108 and a half, almost 108 and a half million uh, dollars at Sotheby's in London. Uh, it's a beautiful work of art. Um, his mysterious and last portrait, Lady with a Fan. I would have paid 108 million if I had it. Of course, I don't. Um, and as I said, this was the highest sale in uh, a public sale in Europe, uh, beating the 104 million for a Jack, uh, Giacometti sculpture uh, in 2010. Another wonderful piece of art by the Swiss artist Alberto, Alberto uh, Giacometti, uh, Walking Man Eye. Again, astonishing work of art. And of course, all this raises the question, how is art valued? Is it just a reflection of the market or do we need to think more profoundly, intellectually or economically in terms of it? Um, my guest today is the co-author of a book appropriately called The Worth of Art, Financial Tools for the Art Markets. Uh, Arturo Cifuentes uh, divides his time between Chile, uh, Santiago, Chile and New York. He's currently in Santiago. So, uh, Arturo, I'm sure you're all too familiar with this uh, wonderful uh, work from Gustav Klimt. How do you make sense of the $108.5 million that uh, Lady with a Fan uh, was valued at? Well, uh, first of all, Andrew, thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Uh, as a co-author, yeah, I, I should emphasize that the book was written with Ventura Charling, a co-author. So she, she should get half of the credit or the guilt, I guess. Now, regarding your question, yes, uh, I think it makes sense. Uh, I wish I could have $100 million, as you mentioned, to buy the painting. But if you think about a work of art, um, a painting in this particular case, a painting is really at the same time a, an object of aesthetic admiration. And at the same time, it's a valuable financial asset, yeah, or it could be a valuable financial asset. So the two things go together hand in hand. Some people sometimes are offended by the thought that uh, you can think of a work of art um, as a piece of investment, but I don't think that should be the case. I mean, the two things coexist uh, within each other. Finance and art have been going together uh, since the very beginning. So it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, there are certain things that are probably uh, worth that amount of money. I mean, I, I wish I could buy that painting. I mean, I would love to have it here. <laughs> so coming back to, and, and, and I want to talk more about whether or not we should or shouldn't be offended by it, uh, by this idea of valuing art and paying such exorbitant amounts of money. Is this valuation of $108.5 million for the lady with the fan, is that just a reflection of supply and demand, that there are very few works by Clint and 
some people presumably value it at X and some at Y and whoever values it the highest will get it. Well, yes and no. Supply and demand here works in a really interesting case, uh, in, a, in an interesting way. Yes, there is a supply and demand element like any other market, but there is an element of um, subjective uh, appreciation, perhaps. It's something people in the economics field like to call the psychic return. It's a funny name, but it really refers to the satisfaction that you get by the fact that you own something very unique. Now, uh, the point that you bring up, Andrew, is very interesting because, for example, um, take an extreme case, Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, there are very few paintings by Leonardo da Vinci. On the other hand, if you think about Picasso, there are probably between almost 10,000 paintings by Picasso and they're all very valuable, yeah? So supply and demand, obviously, it's, a, it's an element but there is something about the, as I said, the psychic element or the personal satisfaction that you get for uh, looking at something that is very unique in a way. The psychic return, can that be quantified, uh, Arturo, or is that just a, a mental thing? Well, it's both, Andrew. I mean, yeah, you have... You, I mean, you can quantify that. I mean, let me give you an example. Yeah. Again, some people might be offended by this, but a painting, it's a really two-dimensional object. Yeah. It's very expensive real estate if you think about it. Yeah. So if you look at the painting, you can look at the painting in terms of dollars per centimeter square, the way you could look at really inexpensive real estate. Yeah. If you look at the painting by Jackson Pollock or Picasso or Monet, they could fetch between $15,000, $20,000 per centimeter square. Now, just to put things in perspective, um, a co-op, a good apartment in New York, in a good neighborhood, it's only $1 per centimeter square. So we were looking at the Jackson Pollock or the Klimt, or the, the one that you show, or the painting by Modigliani. We're talking about something that the market values are 10000 times more expensive. I mean, that's probably, uh, there is a little bit of psychic return. You're not that. actually, I mean, Arturo, you're not paying for real, literal real estate with, with paintings. I mean, the Klimt is valued at uh, $108, $104 million because some people consider it, a, you know, one of the great works of art. They're not considering it a great work of art because it's large. Otherwise, Rembrandt's Night Watch would be worth, I don't know, a thousand more than anything else ever painted because it's so large. Well, actually, the reason you divide the price, well, two things, Andrew. Generally speaking, all things being equal, large paintings are more expensive than smaller paintings. Yeah, I mean, in general. But in the case of the Klimt, I mean, when you express the value in terms of dollars per centimeter square, in a way you are removing from the equation the size, yeah? Because you're talking about the price per unit of area. So I'm not suggesting the Klimt is expensive because it's big, yeah? In fact, by doing that computation, you can remove the size and talk about the value uh, really, I mean, it's the same way you say, for example, I mean, an apartment in New York uh, with a nice view of Central Park might be 
$10,000 per uh, square meter. Yeah, people don't talk about centimeter square, but uh, in reality, it's it's a way of making a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still not convinced. I mean, what about the Mona Lisa? Uh, I mean, God knows what that would. I mean, if you put that on the market, um, Arturo, I, I'm sure you've given some thought to this. I'm sure people have written books about it. How much do you think the Mona Lisa would um, would get sold for? Well, it's, and it's a time, I mean, let's face it, the Mona Lisa, for those people who have fought through the tourists um, in the Louvre in, uh, in Paris, it's a tiny painting. Well, I mean, it's difficult to say, but a painting by Leonardo da Vinci, there are some doubts regarding the painting, but Salvatore Mundi was sold for almost half a billion dollars, yeah? Now, the, the, the question about certain paintings that are in museums, they're really kind of beyond the market in a way, but I could argue, for example, I mean, what would be the value of uh, Central Park in New York? Or, well, you're in you're not, I'm not, I, and you're not answering my question. How much, uh, I'm not saying whether it's worth it or not and, and how we yeah. determine it, but how much do you think the Mona Lisa would fetch at an auction? Well, if I were to make a guess, considering that Salvatore Mundi, which is a little bit, there is some doubt regarding the authenticity, I would say more than a million dollars. That would be my guess. More than a million? A billion or a billion? A million. B yeah, as in brown. A, a big B, 1, yeah. One thousand million, yes. Yeah. And I would guess That would be more. my guess. What is the most expensive painting ever sold? The most expensive painting ever sold in a, a public market is uh, that painting that I mentioned by Salvador, uh, by Leonardo da Vinci, Salvatore Mundi, which was sold uh, in an auction by Christie's a few years ago. Uh, there are some certain uh, there are certain doubts regarding the painting right now. Some people have challenged the authenticity, but that is the most expensive uh, painting ever sold in a public auction. And of so course, far. when it comes to the sale of um, Klimt or certainly Da Vinci, the owners of the painting um, get the, the money uh, for living painters, for living artists. It's a slightly different situation, isn't it? Yeah, that's a very interesting point that you bring about because um, you mean whether the, your question is whether if the artist is alive whether the artist gets a piece oh, of the, the estate. I mean, uh, you know, you write in your book about Rothko's um, or, or Warhol. I mean, all these enormously valuable uh, works of modern art. Some of these artists are still alive, others aren't. Well, that's true. Uh, this is a very interesting point because sometimes when the artist dies, uh, the price goes up. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, there is, a, there is no clear correlation between being alive and, uh, and the value of the painting. I mean, in fact, there are many situations in which artists uh, who passed away a few years ago have been rediscovered, perhaps, a hundred years after they died and the prices have shot up. I mean, for example, uh, a good example is Bot. Uh, an impressionist painting, a painter who was not really acknowledged very much at the time uh, he was alive. I mean, he was not considered an equal of Monet or uh, uh, Renoir or Cezanne, and his paintings have gone up in price in the last 20 years quite a bit after the, the Museum of Modern Art uh, 
uh, sort of rediscover him. Yeah, uh, there is a, for example, there is another American artist, uh, Milton Avery, uh, who passed away a few years ago, and his prices have gone up quite a bit lately. So it, it depends. I mean, it, it, it's a very uh, it's very difficult to say, Andrew. Yeah, sometimes it's good to die, sometimes it's not. Your book is the worth of art. It's a offers financial tools for the for the art market. It's also a history of the art market. Mm -hmm. um, we did a show last year with Charles Dalheim, an art historian and academic at, in Boston. Belonging and Betrayal, How Jews Made the Art World Modern. And we also talked about the history of capitalism colliding with the history of the art market. At what point, um, Arturo, did the worth of art and capitalism itself merge, become inseparable? Well, that's very difficult to say, but I would say that in general, well, Finance and art, they were, if not born together, became commingled many, many years ago. Yeah, I would say that the art markets, in the way that um, we know them today, probably, I would say, uh, around the Industrial Revolution, probably. And what about in the, the Dutch period, in the 17th century? Um, well, given, given the wealth, both of the Dutch Republic and of its artistic tradition. Well, that, that's you can make the case of that. You can make that case. I mean, if you think about so Davis and Christie's were probably uh, founded uh, were f around the, the 18th century, the beginning of the 18th century. So probably you could say that uh, it marks the, in a way, a degree of maturity in the in the art markets. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. The worth of art. I I want to take a break right now. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, uh, who are supporting this programming. And after the break, um, we're going to come back and talk more specifically uh, about the worth of art and how it compares to other markets, real estate, other kinds of investments. So we'll be back with Arturo Cifuentes uh, in a couple of minutes, just after we show uh, a little clip from Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can find more about Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are talking the worth of art today with Arturo Sifuentes. Uh, Arturo, when we look at the headlines today, the economy is always bound up with one another. Uh, technology stocks have fallen, according to the Financial Times, because interest rates are high. So people can invest large amounts of money uh, without risking uh, uh in uh, in dodgy ventures like uh, venture-backed tech companies. Uh, and this is also affecting the bond market and, of course, real estate. Uh, mortgage rates today hit the highest level in more than 20 years, which means it's increasingly expensive to buy a home, which is accounting for the 
I wouldn't say a crisis, but certainly not good times in the real estate market. Is the art business, uh, Arturo, bound up in this? Is this what you're arguing, is that when you consider whether or not to buy a work of art, you should also think, well, could I get more returns in government government uh, yields or the private stock market or um, or uh, or real estate? Well, it depends. I mean, if you have a long view, uh, I think you can do very well in the art market. The thing you have to think about is the following. The art market or investing in art is really an alternative investment, meaning it's high risk, high return. You could do very, very well in the art market and maybe uh, not so well, depending on what you buy. Let, let me give you an example, for example. Uh, if you have bought a painting by Renoir in the last 20 years, probably your return would have been uh, lower than the SP500. Yeah? On the other hand, if you had invested 20 years ago in um, Zhao Wuki or uh, Basquiat, perhaps, or Richter, probably your return would have been 15 times better than the SP500. Yeah? As long as you didn't so, invest in one of those fake Basquiat's in, the, in, in Miami. Uh, well, if you invest well, but even a, a bad fake, a good fake could have some value. Yeah, but if you bought, uh, if you bought a fake, obviously you are out of luck. And actually, you bring a good point because uh, there is a fair amount of uh, forgeries going around in the art market. Yeah, uh, but if you can take the liquidity risk. I mean, the art market is not very liquid. Yeah, it takes about a year to sell a painting. Uh, I think it could be a very attractive investment, particularly because uh, it's a tool for diversifying your portfolio. I don't think it would be a good idea to put all your savings in the art market, but if you have a conventional portfolio, uh, meaning um, stocks, bonds, maybe a little bit of commodities or real estate, by putting something in art, you can really uh, diversify risk uh, nicely. This is a game, though, Arturo, for, for very wealthy people. I mean, ordinary people who struggle to pay their mortgage, who might own one home, who save for their retirement. This is not a market that they could conceivably invest in, is it? Well, actually, Andrew, that's a very good point. Uh, and uh, things might be changing. Like, let me give you an example. Yeah, uh, you are right. I mean, not everybody has $100 million to buy a clip. But there is a recent effort that has been, it's where at the beginning, but there is something called fractional ownership, which basically means it's like having shares in a company. Yeah? Mm. The way it works is that you buy a painting, and expensive paintings, and you issue shares. I mean, some sometimes people call them tokens or shares or whatever, but essentially it's like buying a participation in the company. So there was a recent effort by a Spanish and Swiss uh, bank. Uh, they bought a painting by Picasso and they issued 6,000 tokens. They call them tokens. It's a nice uh, term today because there is a element of... Uh, <laughs> Uh, millennials like that denomination. So the investors put $1,000 each, I believe. So it's like buying a stock in the company. I mean, it's a way for anybody who has a few dollars to spend 
to participate in the ad market. Granted, this is not very um, uh, widespread right now, but I think it has the potential to uh, to allow everybody with a fistful of dollars to participate in the ad market. So we just need to wait a little bit and see. I mean, that, that's uh, I think it's a nice idea. Does this ultimately reflect um, taste that the the people with money who can who can guess a Basquiat or a Rothko or Warhol before these things take off? These are the people who make the killing. And if you're conservative enough to buy an impressionist piece of art, then the likelihood of gaining a great return is 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 pretty low. You're right. It's pretty low. I mean, the impressionist, uh, in a way, reflects the taste of the previous generation, uh, Andrew. Maybe your parents, you know? <laughs> I mean, my grandparents. Yeah, I mean, you, your parents probably would have bought the, a Monet or a Renoir, but millennials prefer to buy contemporary art. Although there so was a point where people who bought the Monets and Renoirs got very rich off them. Uh, well, indeed, they did. hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah, the, the people who bought the Monets and the Renoirs when the establishment was with the salon, they did very, very well. But uh, today, millennials or anyone who is younger than 40 prefer to buy say, contemporary art. I mean, in fact, the, the market for contemporary art has, in general, has gone up quite a bit lately. Uh, impressionists and old masters have not done very well. So but, you're right. I'm guessing you wouldn't advise people who don't know anything about art to speculate in contemporary art because so much of it is deeply speculative. Some of it's, I think, intellectually fraudulent. Other, other, other works of contemporary art take years, sometimes even a generation, to reveal their genius. So, what, what does it take? Are there professional uh, brokers who 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 will advise on which art you should and shouldn't buy? Well, yes, but you have to be careful. Actually, I mean, if you don't like art, my advice to you would be don't even touch it. Yeah, I mean, true. Art could be a very nice and good investment, but I, I think you have to enjoy it. I mean, uh, buy the apartment on Central Park, in other words, or the Ferrari. Yeah, well, I'm not actually the Ferraris have been a good investment. Uh, we have a good, we have a chapter there on the book uh, about about cars. Uh, actually, the Ferraris have been a very good investment. Yeah, uh, a but new one or an know, old one? Well, uh, a red one. Yeah, a red one. Oh dear. Yeah, the color matters. Uh, in classic cars, uh, the color matters. The same as in paintings, actually. I mean, uh, in Rothko paintings, the reds are, uh, or in Joseph Albers, the reds are more valuable than other colors. And the same with the Ferrari. I mean, in, in that kind of market, the color matters, yeah. Well, uh, for aspiring artists, then, uh, Arturo, you would suggest they, they painted red. That's the, the paintings make sell for more. Well, you know, at my age, Andrew, I have to be reluctant to offer. You've got a red for people yeah. just listening. He has a big work of art behind him, which is much, uh, which is reddish, a red background with a red. Yeah, it's, reddish. Uh, it, it's red and blue, which are two colors that actually people tend to prefer. Uh, actually, I bought that painting. Actually, we bought that painting with my wife because we really like it, uh, not because of the colors. Maybe we, we like it because of the colors. But well, who, who painted it? Uh, it was painted by a Chilean artist. Uh, her name is uh, Camille Skela. 
she lived in Mexico for a few years. And actually, if you look at the painting, it has a lot of uh, Rufino Tamaños influence. Tamayo is one of the, the Mexican muralists. So you see a little bit of that. Yeah. And uh, I like to have it here in my office every time I come in the morning. Is and it, I look is at it very painting. valuable? Uh, for me, it is very valuable, and I do not intend to sell the painting, Andrew. So it has no yeah. price. Yeah. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, Arturo, you know, art is a serious business. Artists are particularly serious people. We've done many shows on serious artists. One, for example, with Ramar Bearden, one of the great African-American artists of the early 20th century. Uh, is there a danger of just radically commodifying all this so that you lose sight of the meaning, the significance, the cultural and political meaning of art by, by just focusing. I'm not saying that you are arguing that we just focus on, on its economic value, but is, is this one of the dangers of the increasingly commodified nature of the modern art market? Well, there is a little bit of risk about that, yeah. Um, now, some people would argue, for example, that, um, and this is a very, uh, this is a debate that has not been settled, for example, where art should or shouldn't have a political meaning, where the price going up, it destroys the political meaning of a particular painting. I mean, certainly there are certain paintings that have a lot of uh, a political statement, I mean, Guernica by Picasso, for example. Right. How much is that one worth? Guernica, I would think. Well, yeah. I, I I wouldn't even put a price there. I mean, I think it would, uh, it would be almost offensive, but I think it would be very, very yeah. expensive. I mean, yeah. Picasso is also, it's interesting, Picasso is a very controversial artist and man. His life is increasingly controversial. Given the culture these days of questioning art, uh, leading people like Picasso's relationship with women, does that undermine the price? Um, well, uh, actually, it's an interesting question. Yeah, um, even though people might disagree with me, I think his uh, his value of an artist should be considered. Leaving aside his his personality or personal life, should not be part of the equation. Yeah, having said that, if you look at the paintings, Picasso painted his wives and lovers many many times. Yeah. And the market actually, for example, loves the paintings by Marie Therese. Yeah, uh, th these are the most expensive Picasso paintings uh, in terms of a woman. Yeah, uh, in fact, any painting with Marie Therese is around three thousand dollars per centimeter square. And the least expensive, the cheapest one, are the ones uh, with Jacqueline, uh, who was his uh, his last uh, spouse. Yeah. So the market actually likes uh, Picasso paintings of his women, but uh, depending on the woman, uh, the price is a little bit different, even though that might be a controversial or perhaps a, an offensive statement for some people, but the market has an opinion about that. Is this a good market, though, for artists? I, I know it's hard to change. We did a show with um, Prudence, Pfeiffer, who's the curator at MoMA in New York City, she just wrote a book on the Coenty Slip, the uh, New York street that changed American art forever, a group of, of artists after the Second World War who innovated radically. She noted that in some of, the, some of these artists were so poor, 
it couldn't even afford the materials to paint on, which actually reflected in their art. Are there better ways to create a market for art, Arturo, that not only would be fairer to artists, but actually might generate better art in the long run? Well, better meaning uh, that, that, that artists don't die of starvation so they can actually do their work. Well, actually, um, it's an interesting point because some artists, for example, the, about the particular books you mentioned, like Agnes Martin or even the, the Rothko, um, uh, the Kooning, they really live very um, modest and perhaps very poor lives until the, the late in their careers. On the other hand, you have certain artists like uh, Lichtenstein or uh, Frank Stella, the generation that came afterward, who hit the, the jackpot very early. Yeah, So it really depends. I mean, some artists have been successful when they're very young, some when they are not so young. I mean, the only way that I would answer that question, Andrew, would be to create a way to support financially promising artists. Yeah, but... Um, Again, it's very difficult to say when an artist is young whether he's, he or she is going to be successful. I mean, it's uh, other than providing funding for people who want to engage in artistic creation, and that's a very tricky proposition. I mean, it's very difficult to say. Yeah, I, I wouldn't dare to to predict uh, who is going to be successful or not. I mean, it's a tricky proposition. Well, uh, there are some innovators when it comes to creativity who have come up with business models and companies where you can invest in a creator early and then have access to their work might that be a better way of creating a an, a, well, an art market well you could do i mean for example i mean think about venture capital yeah uh, which is a similar situation because as i said art in a way if you look at art uh, as an investment it's like an alternative investment yeah when you invest in a bunch of software startups, you invest in 10 companies, you know, one is going to be successful and the other nine probably not so. Maybe you could take a group of 10 artists, support them, and knowing that somebody is going to be successful in that group and perhaps then uh, divide the proceed among the 10, yeah, in a way to uh, uh, protect the ones that were less successful. I mean, perhaps you could do that, yeah. Uh, that's a possibility. I mean, uh, some people have thought about that. Actually, uh, there was an Israeli investor who uh, did something very interesting a few years ago in New York. The idea was that a bunch of young artists, they would contribute to a fund with a painting when they were young. And the idea would be 30 years from now to sell all these paintings after, done, after doing market and a whole bunch of things. And the thought was that when liquidating the portfolio, uh, the proceeds could be divided among all the... Yeah, the it's a true cooperative, and it, it might work yeah, in an interesting exactly. way also with, with musicians and with, exactly, uh, yeah. with writers. It's a very interesting subject, Arturo. Finally, what about the digital revolution? How is that impacting crypto um, and technologies which allow for quote-unquote digital originals we've done some shows on those too does that make the worth of art even riskier than before 
Well, actually, I think that has been oversold. Andrew, I don't think... To put it politely, Arturo, oversold. That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) No, I don't think it's going to change the art market very much. Yeah, uh, I I think, uh, in fact, we we addressed that issue in our book, but I don't think fundamentally that is going to change the art market very much. I mean, it could change a few things here and there, but all in all, I I think uh, technology is not the way to... Uh, to make this market more efficient or more uh, uh, transparent, yeah. Well, it's an interesting subject. Uh, Arturo is the co-author of a new book, The Worth of Art, Financial Tools for the Art Market. Some people may be offended, but it's a reality. Congratulations, Arturo, on the new book. And uh, best of luck buying that new uh, Mona Lisa when you get the cash for it. Well, uh, thank you very much for the invitation, Andrew. I'm going to wait until getting the royalties at the end of the year to invest it in art. Uh, uh, and I thank you also. Will you be for able the to market. afford the, the Mona Lisa once you get the royalties on this new book, Arturo? Well, we'll see. I, I'll keep in touch. Yeah. And um, I thank you for mentioning me as a co author. Yeah. Because uh, there is another partner. Yeah. Here. You know, uh, the other author, you, you know, when you've got the co author, you don't want to talk about them too much because. No, that's true. Here. But you have to acknowledge that. So I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah. Well, when I get the royalties for this show, I'm going to buy uh, uh, Vermeer's Lady in Blue. I think I'll be able to afford that. When I, Arturo? Well, I mean, that would be a nice proposition. I mean, I'm sure you can. Yeah, I'm going to keep you posted regarding my royalties to see what I can afford with that. <laughs>